Oh, here we go. Oh. Yeah, so this is the first time I've ever actually wore one of these. They're the most awkward thing ever. Oh my goodness. The whole time I always tell everybody else, why can't you just wear it right? Oh my goodness. It's not real easy. Wow. And if you have hearing aids or something, it would really be bad. Well, it goes behind like this, Jay. Like this. Yeah, okay. and it should come yeah. down. Yeah, you. Yeah, this you got. It. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so yeah, Alan had a nice sermon, I'm sure, planned uh, to talk about uh, biblical eldership and why an elder structure is important and where is it at in the Bible and all those things. Uh, and then he was going to interview Jay and I towards the end um, as two new elders um, and kind of our life journey and some testimony time. Some of those things. So we're going to do this out of order. Uh, we're going to interview us today. We're going to actually interview each other. And then you'll get the reason why later. Um, but I am going to use, uh, I am going to start off with uh, the two passages that uh, Alan had for today. And it's always encouraging, you know, five minutes before service starts, um, Brennan says, why do you have that mic on? I said, because Jay and I are interviewing each other today as elders. She says, Dad, you're only 48. You're not an elder. <laughs> I said, elder, not elderly. Yeah. So. Good point. Uh, <laughs> so uh, two, the two passages of Scripture that Alan had for today, uh, well, two of the, two of the main ones, uh, is 1 Peter uh, 5, 1 through 4. Uh, it's on 1891 in the, in the Pew Bible if you want to follow along. I believe Jason's got on the screen too. Uh, to the elders in the flock, uh, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of God's uh, witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but uh, eager to serve, not lording it over these entrusted to you. But being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will uh, never fade away. And the second one uh, is in Acts 28. Uh, Jason does not have this one, which is fine. Uh, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, uh, which he bought with his own blood. And I think we're just going to start with... For Jay and I, what do these verses mean to us? Um, first off, uh, for me, it's very humbling um, because I have a tendency to look at <clears throat> all the bad parts of my life and say, well, I'm not, I'm not qualified to do that. And <clears throat> over the last year, Al and I have went through a book that we're actually going to do with the whole leadership team. It was probably one of the best things that's happened to me in a really long time because it really helped me realize that nobody is worthy. If we want to keep a scorecard, nobody is worthy. And I remember uh, Bill Hybel telling a story one time about, okay, so you think you're good enough. Um, so if you put yourself on a scale, you know, Christ is like perfect, you know, where would you put Mother Teresa? Well, she's, she's right up there, right? And where do you put, you start filling in the blanks, where do you put yourself? Well, I'm not, well, I'm not Mother Teresa, so I'm like way down here. <laughs> and I'm an accountant, I keep track of numbers, and I love scorecards. So for me, it's always about, I'm not, I don't consider myself competitive, but it's always about keeping score. So when I read these verses, um, for me, it's, it's humbling because I question my own qualification because I can't get past 
the bad stuff that I know Christ has already covered for me. I know he's covered it for me. But um, through leadership of Alan and several people in my life, which we'll get into uh, later, you know, it's helped me see that uh, there's this, this humility in this leadership part that God loves to use brokenness. And it's one of the things I love about the 12 disciples. It was a messed up group of guys. <laughs> and he used every one of them. Doug and I just talked on Tuesday. God used Paul, who was highly educated, really smart guy. And he also used Peter, who probably had very little education. It doesn't matter of that. If God decides he wants to use you, he will use you um, in ways that you probably don't think of or plan to, but he will use you. So for me, all of these things, um, it's a humility thing. Uh, and it's also uh, an area that I don't consider my strong point. My kids will tell you I don't tend to have a lot of empathy, at least with them. <laughs> um, <laughs> Now, I think others that I come in contact with would say, say, say differently, but uh, I know it's a problem with me, and I know I try to, I try to handle it other ways. Um, I find this, and I do a, quite a bit of handwritten communication because I miss the minute. I miss the empathy in the minute, but the Lord will recount it later in my day or the next day about, hey, don't forget so-and-so, and you didn't really handle that right yesterday, and you need to make it right and I'll catch it up with a note card. Life gets busy, whatever the case is. Um, so when I look at some of those things, it's like, okay, um, when I truly think of shepherding uh, or being a shepherd in a flock, um, I feel like there's leadership there and there's certain aspects, but there's other aspects. This is why there's more than one elder um, because not everybody's giftedness is gonna be the same. And our next pastor's giftedness is not gonna be the same as Alan's. And we've thought a lot about that. So, Jay? What are your thoughts? I would echo all that, Brian. Um, from my perspective, in, in this congregation, we have a diversity of experiences, backgrounds, skills, gifts, and it's very, very humbling to be an elder with this group. And from my perspective, if you think of this as being a congregational engine that's driven by the Holy Spirit, as an engine, Brian and I are kind of like the lubricant. We're just trying to keep things moving more smoothly because if your engine lacks lubricant, it gets kind of stuck and it doesn't run very well. So our, our role is mainly to help things keep moving appropriately. So um, yeah, I'd echo a lot of the things that you had said already, Brian. So Jay, as we think about one of the things Alan wanted to talk about today was our faith journey and connection with the local church. So I will let you kick that one off. Um, this is probably the longest piece of what we have to talk about today is my guess. Yeah, you know, when we look at our iPads and our phones, you know, we're not texting our friends, we're not doing video games. I always have to remind people of that. Well, I do have a good game this of solitaire going well, on. Well, you know, I, this is where I keep my notes. <laughs> uh, so my notes are on here. So, you know, let's talk about the faith journey right off the bat. How do we get to where we are? I, I wasn't raised in a Christian family at all. I attended church occasionally, but I didn't really hear the gospel until... By God's grace, I was chosen to go to a fellowship of Christian athletes camp when I was 15 years of age, and I'm still a big supporter of the FCA. But in the fellowship of Christian athletes camp, it was the first time I'd actually heard the gospel. I'd been attending a Methodist church for years prior to that, but I heard about the love of Jesus, and I heard about how we should be nice to each other, but I never heard about the sacrificial love uh, that we, we have 
in our acceptance of Christ. So in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp, as I mentioned yesterday in the men's devotional, it was the first time where I actually realized that you can be an athlete and be a Christian, but yet be highly competitive. Because in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp basketball courts on the football fields, these guys would bash your teeth in to attain the goal and to be able to to win the game. And I thought, well, how can you be a Christian and be that viciously competitive? And I realized that it wasn't that competition led to envy or coveting, which would violate the 10th commandment. Competition was something that God wants us to do. And as Brian mentioned, you know, he's an accountant. He follows outcomes. I'm a physician. I watch outcomes. So outcomes are okay. We should still keep score and God wants us to better ourselves in doing that. But in my spiritual journey, that was my first introduction. And then as time went on, my goodness, there are so many things that, that I watched. Um, Alan asked us if we'd ever um, experienced any personal miracles. I, I look at God's divine guidance as being something that has been miraculous to me in, in terms of just giving me guidance and putting me in situations and giving me opportunities that if I didn't follow up upon, I wouldn't have gone the direction I, I have, and that's uh, something I needed to do. So I've been given opportunities over the course of time that um, uh, have led me to make decisions that I had, there's no doubt they had to be uh, divine prov providence. I was given an opportunity um, 23 years ago to do a television show for 13 weeks, and here it is 23 years later, I'm still doing it. But I was told by my mentors at the time, don't do it. But something told me, no, go ahead and do it. Kind of step out. And as I've learned over the course of time to step outside of my comfort zone um, with God's guidance, it's, it's something that allows you to have a, a more fulfilling life overall. And it, from a spiritual perspective, I've learned over the course of the years that you you don't just look at the gospel and, and, and look at the, the message that we have in the gospel, but you have to pair that with the Old Testament. And that's not something I've done until the past 15 years. You'd be appalled by that, Max. But only about 15 years ago, I started reading the Old Testament and studying it. But until about 15 years ago, I, I focused on the New Testament, the New Testament, and you know that's what you need to do as a Christian. But the Old Testament just gives you this whole new dimension of messianic prophecy that I just hadn't seen before. So from a, a, a spiritual walk standpoint, that's been something that's been very helpful for me over the course of time. Yeah, I think the Old Testament, uh, for me, it's a great reminder and a great visual example of how God uses broken, messed up people to fulfill his promise. Yeah. Um, again, I mean, just, uh, I had a coworker who recently accepted Christ about a year ago, coming up on a year ago, and uh, he just started reading the Bible front to back. And about two months, and he's like, have you read some of that stuff? <laughs> you can't make some of that up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's some really, some really interesting stories in there. Uh, and, you know, being able to talk to him about how that, you know, ultimately points to Christ. Um, so for me, you know, I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, going to church wasn't an option. Uh, you would go. Um, early in life, it was United Brethren Church in Huntington. And, uh, well, still early in life. Um, I was seven. Uh, so uh, my biological 
dad died uh, in 78. He was, I think, 32 years old, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And <clears throat> I was five at the time. I just turned five after, uh, actually a week after he died. I don't remember any of that. I don't remember him being sick. I don't remember a funeral. I don't remember any of that. And I had an older brother and sister. Lynette's my sister. Most of you know that. Um, and they do remember that. And they have a lot of memories. And I sometimes wish, man, I wished I had memories. I wished I had those memories. In the end, I think God actually protected me from a lot of things through all that. My mom remarried two years later um, to a man in Columbia City. And that's who I knew was my dad. And <clears throat> after we moved up here, we attended Church of God for uh, a lot of years. In uh, I believe it was 83, um, actually I had, I had two adoptions that year. My, my mom's new husband, Leon, adopted me. I wanted to be a Moore. I couldn't figure out why I'm running around with all these cousins and whatnot. Their last name's Moore. Why is my name not Moore? And wanted to pursue that. And I also accepted Christ the same year. I'm, I'm pretty certain of that. Uh, when you live in a church home and uh, raised that way, you sometimes forget what was the actual date. Um, but I do know uh, whether it was 82 or 83, doesn't matter. I do know I was at Bear Lake Church Camp. I knew it was a little white chapel. I still remember what song was playing. I remember my counselor's face. I can't remember his name. Um, but I remember walking up the left-hand side of that sanctuary, or that little chapel, and making that decision that night. And I wished I knew the date. I, you know, it's just one of those things that you look back, it's like, man, I wished I would have wrote that down, or whatever the case was. Doesn't matter. I remember the time, um, or I remember the, uh, the place. And then you just kind of go through life. Um, was not, uh, I did the church things in high school, was not uh, living that way. Um, I, I was a typical, well, probably not quite the typical high school boy. I was close. Um, I just was the youngest of five kids and knew probably better how not to get caught. Uh, my sister and my brother both got caught doing things, and our punishments in the house always matched your crime. Um, so if you got caught TPing, you're buying toilet paper. If you got caught painting something, you're going to paint, um, those types of things. And I probably just got good at, at not getting caught. Um, I met, uh, Rob and I went to school together pretty much our whole life um, and started dating and seniors, and she went to church here. And I believe one of the things for good church growth is have a lot of cute girls because the guys will also come. <laughs> um, and that's what I did. And it was a breath of fresh air. I mean, I attended a big church. Uh, Dunphy was a much smaller church. I liked the family aspect, a lot of things. And I just kind of got hooked. Um, and, you know, I can look back over life, and I'm with Jay. When pastor asked, okay, well, so where have you seen God's miraculous work in practical ways? The fact that I'm here today is a miracle. It's part of God's miraculous providence. And I can look back over my life and just little things along the way that God just provided. I didn't know then. Um, I don't know what tomorrow is. But I'll wake up today, try to be obedient, and take note of every individual that God puts in my life because I don't know why he put them there. And, uh, you know, I told Jason, man, I could talk about camp for probably three Sundays um, but because of God leading me here, you know, so I, I meet, you know, I, I start dating Robin. I start going to church here. That's in the early 90s. I go through college. Um, we, uh, I think it was my, I don't know, 93. I think we've got that one narrowed down. Jerry Blanchard asked, uh, who was a long-term pastor here, asked, 
me to go to church camp to be a counselor. I said, yes, sir, because my girlfriend's gone, so why wouldn't I want to go for a week? <laughs> um, almost the point, my mom didn't want me to go because my girlfriend was going. And I was like, it's church camp. I mean, what's... Uh, but, and I was just hooked. I just got hooked on this camp ministry. And part of it was probably because of my own story. It's a lot of fun. Um, was a lot of it then. And then when Jerry left in 99, 2000, uh, the year after he left, they asked me to be the director, and I have been ever since. But God just says, I mean, I, I watch all that line up, and then I can jump to, to work life and personal life. And I, I met with a, a church planner a couple years ago and telling him my story and kind of the journey, and he says, man, do you write all that down? I'm like, you know, I haven't. I don't have a lot of regrets in life. But that's probably one of them that I've not done a better job of writing those stories down. And about six months later, um, somebody else asked me the same thing. Hey, did you write all those down? No, I haven't wrote all of them down. I do have a table of contents now. <laughs> I did go back and figure out years and dates of various things, things that this church has had a part of, uh, things that camp has had a part of, uh, people that God's put in my life that I didn't know then why. Um, you know, and it is Jerry Blanchard's. It's Warren Banks. It's um, work colleagues. Rod Meyer that I got introduced to in 2004 that just immensely helped me in my spiritual walk. Um, who just has, uh, when, when Rod truly accepted Christ, just had a passion for the word. Passion that I, I envied his passion for the word and how he just knew where things were at and ragtag torn up Bible that just was wore out as wore out because Rod was in it all the time and to be able to call him you know on a whim's notice and hey, I'm in the car driving to Chicago but uh, you know and you kind of share what's going on he's like hey Brian you got your Bible in front of you yeah uh, hey can you go to Chronicles um, I believe it's chapter five you know and he just he's talking from memory he goes can you read that for me and you'll start reading, and it's like, no, 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 no. Can you read that? But where it says you, I need you to put your name in there. Your name. Your full name. And that's one that's wrote down in front of my journal now because I need that verse all the time, and it's about your hard work. And, you know, Brian, just, just persevere and stay with it, and God's going to honor that at some point in time. We don't know when or whatever. But I just, I just got a pattern all over my life of God just honoring uh, the relationships, the obedience, the steady walk, um, and I consider it all a miracle, an all a miracle. And we just wrapped up something at work that we've been working on for four years, four years. My wife was tired of talking about it. She's tired of hearing about it. Why can't you do it tomorrow? I mean, it just, it just was the biggest test of perseverance for me. And I go back and I look at all that, and I'm like, well, you know, if we would have done that when we, we as humans wanted to do that, we wouldn't have hired a girl in that organization by the name of Olivia a few years ago. And Olivia, four months after she started working there, started attending church, the church of a coworker that the coworker didn't know she was attending there. She just, she liked what she saw him talking about and she just went to his church. Which ended up, a month after that, her accepting Christ at that church. Which six months after that, her and her son both got baptized in that church. And in our timing, none of that would have happened. None of it. But in God's timing, who is, you know, to God, our life here is nothing. 
He's planning for generations from now. As far as I know, that kid who accepted Christ and got baptized, his grandkids are going to be pastors. That's, I have no idea. But that's the way God looks at those things. And I look at all that as, a mer- as miraculous works. Um, and then we can get into the tangible, the, the really quick things, where camp speaker doesn't show up on Monday of camp, and i got to figure out a camp speaker for that night and him providing that. That's a miracle that you just don't forget. Um, and those things happen, too. I think we just lose track of them. But. I think what we've learned is that there are no coincidences. You, everything that happens to us is for a reason. And uh, there's, there's two terms God never will say. One is oops. And another one is, boy, I didn't see that coming. So God has everything planned for us. And we look back on our lives and it, it all flows if you allow it to, to progress as the way that God desires. Uh, you know, a lot of you have heard about my story when I was... 18 years of age, I had a spark going through a, I was sickling around a metal post and a spark went up, went through my eye, hit my retina and basically blinded me in my left eye at 18 years of age. Well, here I was going to be a cardiovascular surgeon, so that wasn't supposed to happen. (laughs) So I finished pharmacy school and I go through medical school and end up going into psychiatry, which is a waste of my whole pharmaceutical degree. Because in 1983, in psychiatry, you only used about six or seven medications, and psychiatrists would ask me at the time, why are you going into psychiatry? All we do is talk to people. You don't need medication in psychiatry. Well, look where it's gone now. Now psychiatry is all psychopharmacology, and that's the only thing that we do with medication management. So it's taken me down that path, but at the age of 18, I had no idea why that happened, but it turned out to be one of the greatest blessings that ever occurred to me. Now, I don't recommend that for any of you, but it, it helped me go the direction that I ended up going. Um, a, a miracle for me is this, the fact that, you know, I went to the Creation Museum with our granddaughter. Uh, Chris and I went to the Creation Museum with our granddaughter, and we got this perspective of this little speck of what the earth looks like from the rest of the universe. The fact that God, who created this massive universe, even cares about or even knows about any one of us, that is a miracle to me. And to be actively engaged in our lives through the Holy Spirit is, is just amazing. But we have to look for that divine guidance to be able to follow it over the course of time. Uh, my marriage to Chris, I mean, I, I do think you need to be equally yoked because cred Chris not been a Christian, she wouldn't have guided me along. Who knows where that could have gone? I always look back and say, I wouldn't have asked Chris out to our first date had we not won the state championship eight days before, because I had the confidence to actually ask this good-looking girl out for our first date, because we won the state championship in football eight days before. And we were down by 14 points in the first quarter. Wow. So that's a miracle. <laughs> so call it what you will. Um, I, I think that as, as we listen and kind of watch and be aware of our surroundings and be aware of why people are put in front of us, why we have opportunities that we have, and not be uncomfortable kind of stepping out of our comfort zone. That's kind of what I've learned over the course of time, and that's what I'd like to encourage for members of this church. So question's not on the sheet, Jay, but I've been thinking a lot about it. Um, 
is how do you discern what you think uh, maybe you need to lead a group of people into versus what what may God's plan be? And you get a little bit of context. So as we think about pastor search team, you know, it's really easy to get into, well, this is what I think we need. But what does the church need? Not just our church, but God's church. What do they need to lead a congregation and 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 communicate God's kingdom here on earth in our community? We spend a lot of time on that as a search team. But how do you, I mean, that's just one example, but how do you discern between, well, that's what I think God wants me to do for me versus what maybe God wants me to do for what, what I'm calling a group of people into doing? I think it's a dynamic process uh, where you might have that strong emotional feeling at, at the time, but you have to be checking in with others as a group, other people in a pastor search team, and following over the course of time what other opportunities might come. You might be really set on one person as a pastor today, but what happens two, three days later when you get another application and you have to let God guide you into mm-hmm. what direction you go with that and, and be open to not getting stuck on one decision like that? Yeah, I think, and that, that uh, to me, I like to let things, what I say, percolate for a little bit, mm-hmm. um, a day or two, and just kind of see what happens. Um, and it is really easy to get into, well, this is what I think we should do. And you notice there's one word in there. This is what I think we should do. Right. And I'd be really careful on, am, am I doing what I want to do or what I think God wants us to do? And it's two totally different things. And I do think uh, when it's God's plan, it'll be revealed and confirmed through the mouths of others. Um, it'll just kind of all of a sudden click um, with a group or, or whatever the case is. I've had a, um, I had a habit at one point in time, and I'm, I'm getting about past it. Um, I still find myself doing it once in a while, uh, where I was blessed to receive a couple awards and uh, had to make some comments. And the one, uh, I invited a, a dear friend uh, who has become a dear friend of our family, um, who I started off with a, a work relationship with. And I invited her to come because she's had a big impact on just not only my professional walk, but my spiritual walk as well. And in my comments, I said, well, I put my pants on one leg, just like everybody else, one leg at a time. And afterwards, she says, Brian, you, you can't say that. You're not like everybody else. God's doing something unique with you, and you need to give him credit when that, when you, every time you have a chance. So what that's rolled into is, is I find myself, things come easy, certain things come really easy to me. I see, I see certain things really fast. And I, what I've realized is, is that's not me. It's not me. God's just using me as a tool at that point in time. And making sure when I go into work the next morning and say, hey, I realized or I thought of, no, God revealed to me last night or God revealed to me this morning that this is what's going on. And it may not be spiritual things. It may be work things. But it's not my own mental ability that did that. God revealed that to me. And her call out on that has made me realize it's, it's not my own energy. It's not my own education. It's not my own 
I put my pants on one leg at a time like everybody else does. God, God's done that. And God is revealing stuff to a search team. He's revealing stuff to this church. He's revealed stuff to me over the last two years um, that I didn't know why he was revealing it to me. I don't know why he was putting me in contact with two different church planners, one local, one not local. And the one was, the one not local, there was no rhyme or reason why I got connected to him. But about three months ago, in the quietness of a devotion time, there was just this overwhelming sense put over me of, I've not been teaching you these things the last two years for anybody else but your church. So just settle into that and, and, and take note of what I'm trying to teach you. And that's where, you know, so I, I can go back. I can go back. This journey this church is on now, I can firmly tell you that God was planting seeds in my life three years ago for this time today, without a doubt. I didn't know it then. Three years ago, it was just a frustration or whatever the case was. There was I had other things. But my only thing I would tell you is, is if it's a scary question, and I know we're not, we shouldn't question God, but I question God every day what you're trying to teach me today because he is teaching every one of us something today that he is going to use some point down the road. It's kind of how he works. It's kind of cool. Um, and we just have to be patient, listen, talk about your journey. That's one of the ways I have found out things get confirmed. Talk about what God's doing with you with other people. Because God will confirm that, even if they're not Christian. I believe God will use a non-Christian person to confirm things in your life that may be going on. So all that, I think, ends up being miracles. What question did I ask that even got us to that? We're going into the pastor's search oh, team yeah, 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 and how yeah. decisions are discerning, being made. Discerning God's will. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what was the last question we had? Well, you alluded to instinct. Uh, along with that conversation, but um, instinct can be kind of like coincidences. Is instinct really a curve? We're open to the Holy Spirit because you might have an instinct and a really good feeling about something happening, and we call it instinct, but hey, if you're guided by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit might actually be taken over for that. So we think about instinct being a combination of past experiences and coping strategies and all the synapses firing and you have an idea, but if you're open to the Holy Spirit, that might be where that's going for you. Mm -hmm. uh, miracles. I, I just thought of a miracle that I could think of. It was really cool. It happened in 1990 for me. That's before you were born, Brian. No, I was 73. Uh, I was a new physician at Parkview and um, making rounds on a good Friday. That's why it was so interesting for me. Uh, making rounds on a Good Friday as an intensive care unit, and there was this lady there who I consider to be elderly. Looking back on it, she is about my age right now. She's in her <laughs> mid-60s, and she's on a ventilator, and she had been on a ventilator for about two weeks, and she didn't have the um, drive, the, the emotional will to live to keep going. And it was Friday. The physicians who called me on the consult said, you know, we're going to unplug the ventilator probably Monday. We'll see what you can do over the weekend. But uh, she's just given up. And but they also said they didn't think that she had the lung capacity to be able to go any on any longer. So they thought she was just going to die. 
So they're going to give her the weekend. They said, we're going to give the weekend for the family to prepare for her to die, and then we're going to probably unplug the ventilator on, on Monday. So it was Good Friday, and that's why I remember it so distinctively. And I thought, well, you know, I do think she's given up on the will to live, and I, was, I thought I'd use this um, rocket fuel medication combination called Ritalin methylphenidate. Lynette, Joe, you probably have heard about that. And nortriptyline, which is an antidepressant that usually isn't given with Ritalin because it's very highly activating and they have overlapping mechanisms of action. Bottom line is, I said, let's give that to her Saturday morning. And um, what do we have to lose? So it's kind of like taking out the jumper cables on the brain. It's not ECT, but you know, from a medicinal standpoint, it was a matter of just firing up the brain really, really fast. And um, did that Saturday and the following day, Easter Sunday, I go in and make rounds and see her, and she said, Happy Easter. Wide awake. <laughs> Gets off the ventilator Monday, as they planned, but this time she was wide awake, breathing, and she was discharged two or three days later. I got cards from her for years on down the line. And to this day, I don't know how that happened, <laughs> because that doesn't usually work that way. People die when they're coming off ventilators, the combination of methylphenidate, nortriptyline, don't usually give that powerful response within one day. But it happened to be Easter Sunday she mm. woke up. I just thought that was so cool. But if there was ever a miracle that I could say I actually saw face-to-face, -face, that was, that was instance like that. So uh, miracle, I think God does speak to us in, in miracles. Um, I don't discount miracles when they do occur for people, but um, I think more often than not, on a day-to-day -day basis, it's more divine intervention based on who uh, we encounter and what opportunities present to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I firmly believe that God's capable of doing a miracle anytime He He wants to, and I think we, in today's fast-paced society, I think we just look past what could have been a miracle. I mean, Rob and I hand-delivered some some packets of stuff to search team on Friday night. And we had a miracle crossing 24 because Robin was looking one way. She wasn't looking the other way. And I finally said, are you going to go? <laughs> and we're, as we're crossing the dual lane highway. And I think about that time. I've thought about that time. Five seconds is probably what the difference was there between not getting hit and getting hit. And it was just, it was an accident. But you look at that, it's like, it was America. God was had his hand on us right then and there. And those things happen all day long. And we like to complain about what doesn't go right. right. Why did I get stuck by a train? Why did I get stuck in traffic? Why did I, why did the dogs not go in their kennels? I mean, whatever, you fill on the, fill on the blank. Um, we had to remember that, you know, God may be working through those things too to put you where you need to be at when he needs you there. Um, so, uh, so as we finish up, um, the last question was, is why did, you, why did you accept to be an elder, Jay? I didn't want to see this church building being auctioned off. <laughs> uh, we're at a point where, you know, I used to stand back there and count the numbers of heads in here every Sunday morning. We used to be at 60, 70, sometimes I think 80 at the most, perhaps. But we had a lot of people in here, and to no fault of... Um, the church leadership necessarily, we, we literally had people die. And you have members who have been here for decades and they were, were dying. We had a few people 
coming in and sticking with us, which is fantastic, but we didn't see the growth that we needed to, to maintain viability of the church. So I've always been interested in a church plant, and there was a church plant that Chris and I could have done back in the 1980s. I always regretted we didn't do it when uh, they had the church plant from Bethesda over in Indianapolis, and we, we should have gone to that, and we didn't. We stayed with Bethesda, the church there. But uh, it's, it's a new beginning in that re- regard. And for me, that's very exciting. It's not that you're going to negate the history of this church. It's been here for the past century. But we have to remember that the younger generation are uh, worshiping in a different way. You know, you have, what is it, a third of uh, millennials are even thinking about going to a church yeah. now? So we have to think outside the box, and COVID did that to a lot of, caused that to a lot to, to occur with a lot of us. Uh, in my field, almost all of our work now is by video, which sounds very impersonal, but there's a way you can make it personal. Are there ways that we can advance our technology and be able to reach out to those who are primarily video-oriented as opposed to actually walking into a church? So it gives us opportunities to be able to expand and grow the church in ways that we've never seen before. But what I think is really exciting is look at all the building permits going on in this area. And when you think about a church, it's kind of like a health club. You kind of want to be in the area of it. So people will attend a health club if it's in their local vicinity. I think, you know, for many people, they'll attend a church if it's still in their vicinity. The chapel, Chris and I attended there for quite some time. It's not for everybody. I think for many people, and ourselves included, we wanted the quaintness. We wanted the interpersonal connection we had with a smaller church. And I think for many people, they want that. So it gives us a lot of opportunity here. Yeah, so for me on this one, um, you know, I think, and again, this goes back to a journey that that, that did really start three years ago, um, maybe a little longer if I really want to look at it. Uh, I think Lord is planting seeds with me even back when we were doing Tangible Kingdom study at Dennis's house. I think he was teaching me then about what does church look like. And and I look at what he's taught me over the next over the last few years in that in that um, realm and the people he's put in my path and I have gotten this sense of who what does church look like? Not just Sunday morning which was the focus. And for two decades here, I, I, and I use that term wrongly, I felt that, well, if we just do these things, then people want to come to church here. So in North America, we call that the attractional island. It's doing things that people will want to come there. And there's churches who have been very successful in building an attractional model and I won't take any of that away from them. However, the attractional model, in my mind, is not sustainable. At some point, you run out of steam. You just, you can only, you can only do that for so long. COVID exposed a lot of that. Mm-hmm. This is why churches who are running 1,000, all of a sudden, post-COVID, are running 300. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just really magnified issues with that model. And thinking about tangible kingdom and thinking about, uh, you know, having a phone call with a man who trains church planners, tell me, well, Brian, you're a church planner. And I'm like, oh, time out. I really like my job. 
and I'm not a church planner. He goes, no, I'm talking about not, not the church that you're thinking. Brian, you're thinking plant and church with the attractional model. I'm not talking that. I'm talking what does a church look like Monday through Sunday, not Sunday. And then I start to realize what Lord's doing with me and through me in a work setting. Um, we had some restructure and management a year ago. Um, I got some additional responsibility officially. Um, priority had it, but it was officially my responsibility at that point. And, you know, I had a team of six come over, um, one strong believer. The rest of them may have danced around church at some point in their life, but weren't there. And in the last year, three of them have made decisions to put Christ first in their life. Now, life's still messy with them, but I, I look at what God's showing me, what it looks like to shepherd a group of people, and that's really what I end up doing at work, is shepherding people um, and try to do it with a, a faith-based and a Christ-centered uh, perspective. And Al and I have talked, we talked about, you know, elders and my role in leadership for the past several months, and I was noncommittal because although this transition feels different than other transitions the church has had, and I've been through several. Um, Jerry Blanchard's transition 20 years ago. Uh, we did interim then. Um, Jeff Spence's was here for six, seven years. I went through that transition from him to, to Dennis, and now this one. And there's something about this one that's different. And I think what it boils down to is it's not this well, we just, need, we just need to do this, and that will fix our problems, which is, has been my approach here for a long time. And I, I told Alan a while back, I said, I almost feel like you need to ask for forgiveness because it's just, I've just realized it's not right. The, the motivation, I mean, if we just add on the building, then they'll come. If we just get the elevator inside, they'll come. If we just have a bigger toddler room, they'll come. If we just have a youth pastor, they'll come. If we just have a better worship pastor, they'll come. If we just preach better messages, they'll come. If we just do trick-or-treat, trunk or treat, they'll come. And, you know, Alan, uh, I believe it was last pastor church team said, a good preacher is not going to get people to come in on Sunday mornings. And it's not. And the Lord's been showing me this, teaching me this for two years. And it finally got to the point of, I got excited enough about the transition and where things were going that I decided, yeah, I'm kind of with Jay. I I want to be a part and help shepherd and guide into what I think the church is next. Jay talked about, you know, a third of the millennials, that generation, it's the lowest any of any generation in our country's history of their interest in church. Mm-hmm. To make that even more compelling, the last poll at Gallup done uh, within the last year, 70% of North America has no interest of attending a church service of any type. doesn't matter what you do. And only 30% of those who are actively in church, so this is us this morning, truly understand what the Great Commission means on expanding God's kingdom. So what that means is, is you have 70% of the church trying to do things to attract 70% of the population who has no interest in coming. It just doesn't make sense. Back to the keeping numbers and trying to plan things out, that math don't work. Right. So... I want to be a part of that. I want to see what God wants to do with me, with Jay, with this body on a different perspective. 
And you can look at all the work the transition team's done over the last year and what came out of that, and it, it's exciting. Should be exciting. And I am excited. And we'll see. You know, I'm, I'm just anxiously awaiting. Um, and, you know, we've got a big meeting tomorrow night. It's not like the meeting. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, our goal is, is, you know, we've got a, a handful of candidates um, that we've asked for full information on. We've been watching sermons on. And the goal tomorrow night is, is to get that down to the two or three that we actually want to talk to. And, you know, uh, we've asked people to pray uh, through tomorrow evening, and we gave you a list of things to pray about, and it's unity. Just want to make sure we're, we have unity on the community because um, that's what will confirm God's will for what's going on there in this church. But, um, you know, for me, it's the, there is excitement around it. And Alan has been good at generating some of that excitement. Um, so that's, that's the why. And I, my, my guess is next week we're going to hear the why the importance of elders and their role and, and all those things. And hopefully that message matches up with what we talked about today. Um, hopefully we don't, like, after that message, I think, think ooh, why do, we, why do we select those two guys? Um, uh, no, I think, I think God's hands and all that. And just, uh, just seeing a lot of, whether it's people stepping up to do other things right now, I mean, just, there's a level of excitement um, that is contagious. Uh, so... So with that, um, Doug's going to close us in prayer, and then we'll, we'll, we'll sing the last song. Um, uh, but he's going to have a, a special prayer over Jay and I, and uh, 